0: You are very welcome. All of you are welcome. All of you is welcome. Let's take a moment and welcome God into our lives, into our hearts, and into this space. Will you pause and welcome Him with me? We sounded pretty good this morning didn't we that was great I love I love what Tim did there with that um, I really struggle though with silent night because that second O night divine if you don't start low enough you know I was oh night divine. so I, I'm always trying oh no I want to get the it's just hard to Anyways, I really get nervous during that song. I'm just going to kiss it out. I was talking with my neighbor the other day, and we got onto the subject of social media. We both agreed that we are old. But we started talking about there was a time when everyone had an opinion, but not everybody had a platform, right? And so you would have an opinion, and you would share that opinion, but you'd share it within the context of relationships and accountability. You'd share it around a dinner table. You'd share it with coworkers. You'd share it with family, friends, where there was accountability. But now everyone is talking all the time. And the noise is deafening. And while there is something truly democratic about everyone being able to have a say, it's, the reality is it feels like we're more spiteful than ever. Doesn't it? It seems like the language, the conversations are about being right, about proving our point, about this side winning, about getting my way. And it's all so unreasonable. I think our conversations are devolving. And getting off social media this year has actually been super freeing to me. I didn't realize how there were just some ways it was wrecking my soul. and I just needed to get healthy by getting away. My point is we're we're living in a land right now of little joy and so little reasonableness. And that's why more than ever we need advent. Advent is not just a season, it is an actual way of living. It's a way of living that believes that the first arrival of Jesus matters and the final arrival of Jesus matters. And as Roland shared with us last week, it's not enough to just remember the first coming and then sit and hope for the next. God is ushering a kingdom into this world of little joy and little reasonableness, and he calls us to partner with him. Now, last Sunday, uh, our Advent reading was in the book of Philippians, which is a letter written from a man named Paul. Paul was an early church leader, and he was writing a letter to these Philippians, and so uh, to the city of Philippi, the church there, and we call this letter Philippians. We actually have the Advent reading there as well today, so I'm going to tur- encourage you to turn to Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. And as you're pulling that up, I want to connect these people to us because the people in this church in Philippi were also facing little joy and much unreasonableness paul for example the, the man who's writing this letter their their mentor their leader their, their their shepherd is writing from a prison where he is awaiting his own execution one of their beloved members uh that was so important to their community a man named epaphroditus was very very sick and they were worried i think he's going to die And their culture around them was increasingly antagonistic towards them because they claimed to believe that a man had risen from the dead and they were going to follow him. Their church was beginning to see arguments break out all over the place, all kinds of issues, and felt very fractured. They were losing their joy and their reasonableness. And so Paul writes this letter to them to encourage them. Now, what do you say to a group of people who feel that they are not having any joy or reasonableness in their life? Paul is going to say two things to them in Philippians 4. He's going to say, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice and let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Rejoice and be reasonable. And when I read this, I first got the sense, and maybe you get this sense too, that Paul is telling them to, hey, just forget all your troubles and put on a happy face. Hey, just uh, just slap a smile on it. Just be positive. Forget you're dealing with negative things. Just rejoice, brother. And I don't know if you ever feel like that when you visit a church or when you come to our church. Maybe we say things like, well, you know, leave all the world behind and just celebrate Jesus. And forget all you're dealing with and sing out to God. The problem is sometimes, as was so beautifully read by Lori over here, just sometimes things aren't right with us. We're sad. We're grieving. And so is Paul telling us that being sad or grieving is wrong? That real Christians should just rejoice, rejoice always, rejoice always. I recently, uh, in the last few weeks, had two conversations with some older guys and sat across the table, had great conversation, and we started getting into some of this topic. We started talking about grief and loss and regret and parenting and uh, just kind of all this kind of stuff. And what I was really hoping for from these older guys is that they would say, Thomas, I remember being your age. And, and that was a phase I went through, and now I'm out of it, and I'm s- it's so much better. And they didn't say that to me. Instead, they said, the grief keeps going as you get older. And I was like, is there another older man that I can talk to? One of these men said to me, Thomas, I think the most interesting people in the world are those with scars. And then he said this. He says, I I think that grief and joy are two rails of the same train track. You can have both at the same time. It's a new thought to me. And I would bring this back to this text and say, I don't think Paul is telling people to deny their grief and just rejoice. I think he's saying go with that grief to God because look what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. You find joy by going into God. But how do you do that? Well, look at the second thing he said. I think these two are connected. Let me show you that. So he says rejoice, but then he says let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The word reasonableness means kindness, gentleness, patience. It's where you don't have to have your own way. It's where you don't have to have the thing you want fixed. It's where you don't have to have control over the, something. It's where you can look into another person's eyes and, and without judgment, just listen to their story. It's like what Susie said two weeks ago, where you you can see God enlarge your heart three times to have a capacity to love someone. So here are these two thoughts, this rejoice and re- and, and be reasonable. We're living in a time of great lack of joy and great lack of reasonableness. And Paul says, be reasonable and rejoice. How? Why? I think these two tie into the next few words he writes. Because the Lord is at hand. Say that with me. The Lord is at hand. What he's saying here is this. Jesus is coming back. He is arriving. He is adventing again. And when he does, he is going to right all the wrong. He's going to end all the evil. He's going to vindicate all the truth. And he's going to restore all that was stolen. He is at hand. That means he is near. He is close. He's close to coming back. He's close to seeing all the things we don't think anyone sees. He's close to hearing all the things that we don't think anyone heard. He's close to taking notes on all the things that we don't think anyone cares about. And so the way that I am trying to practice being uh, rejoiceful and to be uh, reasonable is by remembering that the Lord is at hand. And this is my hope. So this is the hope of my life. The hope of my life is that Jesus will return and restore all things. So I can rejoice in knowing that things are not always going to be like this. And I can be reasonable knowing that God is going to deal with all these things that I think are so unreasonable. But that's not the whole story. I grew up thinking that was the whole story. Just hold on. uh, Just hang on. Just hope against hope that someday, one day, it will all be better. And until then, just, you know, keep your head down. Be faithful. uh, Keep marking on the wall. And then Jesus will show up and it will all be done. But the fact that it says the Lord is at hand, it also senses that he is close. It means that he is present with us. He's not just close to arriving again in a big way. He's very present with us now. He's working all around us. He's working through us. And that's led me to to see that while the hope of my life is that he will return and restore all things, the action of my life is to restore with him. As Roland said last week, we are partners with God. This means that God relies on us to bring his heart into this world. That's a great opportunity. There's a very famous Jewish philosopher named Martin Buber. Buber once wrote that the world is divided into the holy and the not yet holy. And our task is to take the not holy and make it holy. So sometimes we hope for God to step in and make it holy. Sometimes he calls us to act to step in and make it holy. See, there's two things here. How do we make it holy? We make it holy one bunk bed at a time. You see, if you, if you have a foster care situation where they say, we would like to take these kids that do not have a home, and we would like to take care of them. Well, these kids not having a home, that's not holy. And this foster care says, well, but well, we don't have a bed to put these kids in, so we're not going to be able to take care of them. That's not holy. But then a group of people from Pulpit Rock build a bunk bed and bring it over and set it down, and now the not holy has been made holy. Just a little bit. We make it holy one step at a time when we take trips to Haiti and Boquias to tell people about the love of Jesus Christ. We make it holy when we give a dollar to build centers for refugees in Syria so they can see the light of truth. And every time we choose joy and reasonableness in our everyday work of child-rearing and cooking and lawyering and cleaning and driving, we are stepping out to make the not-holy holy. And we want to fix it all but we can't and we want God to fix it all but he doesn't yet so the path to rejoice and be reasonable is to know when am I to hope and when am I to act how do I know when a thing is God's to make holy or when he's given it to me to act upon when is it a hope for him and when is it an act for me and this is where I tend to get overwhelmed I get anxious I start to think about the enormity of the problems in this world, and, and I, um, what am I supposed to do? I should be doing more or not? And, and then I, I, I get overwhelmed with the weight of my own little world. And I've come to see how much I love to control things. And I've come to believe a lie that if I can just control what's happening out here, it'll bring peace in here. And the phrase that Jesus has been using with me over the last few weeks is, um, you don't have to have peace out there to have peace here because I am your peace oh well I heard you say that before Jesus but I don't really know that that you meant it for me Francis de Sales once said next to sin the greatest evil in the world is anxiety I don't know if that's true I don't want to compare evils but anxiety does rob us and it's partly connected to some of this stuff of am I supposed to hope for you to fix this Are you going to fix this? Am I supposed to do something here? Are you going to help me? What do I do? I get anxious. And then Paul guides us in verse 6, do not be anxious about this stuff. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses your ability to understand, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So how do I know when a thing is... God's to make holy or it's mine to make holy when is it a thing for me to hope for God to do or it is something he's calling me to act on Paul says pray take it to God God is this tell me what to do let me sit with you let me welcome you are you, are you just calling me to hope or are you calling me to action which one and when we sit there and when he guides us we begin to have a peace that passes human understanding See, his peace may spur you to action, or his peace may still you to hope. He knows the difference. Ask him. When we look at an enormous world filled with joylessness and unreasonableness, I go, I don't even know where to start. What do I do? And I think the answer is the most that any of us can do, which is more than nothing and less than everything. And when we go to God, we find out which is which. So I would sum it up by saying this, we hope He is at hand to restore, and we act like He is at hand when we restore. This is the Advent way of life. We are people of hope and action, and in all of this we pray. We pray for Him to come back, and we pray for Him to give us the courage to do the work. And the promise we have is peace. Peace for our hearts, so joylessness does not consume us, and peace for our minds, so that unreasonableness does not overwhelm us. Great men and women of God, we can be people of joy and gentleness this season. We can be bringers of peace. We can be unshaken by the tumult around us because Christ is at hand. He will restore and we will restore. And I'd like to close with a story and a a question for us. I like this story. About a hundred years ago, uh, an author named Bret Hart wrote a story called, The Luck of Roaring Camp. Roaring Camp was the meanest, toughest, roughest mining town in the West. It had more murders, more thefts. It was a terrible place inhabited completely by men. And one woman who was trying to serve them all. Her name was Cherokee Sal. She was pregnant. And then when she gave birth, she passed. Well, the men took the baby, and they put the baby in this box with some rags under her. And then they looked, and they thought, well, that doesn't look right. So they sent someone 80 miles away to get a rosewood cradle and brought the cradle back. and took the baby and the rags and put it in this rosewood cradle, and that didn't look right. And so they sent someone else to Sacramento to get these beautiful linens and lace blankets and brought it back and wrapped the baby in this these blankets and put it in this rosewood cradle. But that didn't look right. I mean, it looked fine at first until someone looked down and happened to notice how filthy the floor was. And so these hardened, tough miners got down on their knees and with their rough and weathered hands began to scrub that floor until it was very clean. What do you think that did? It just highlighted how horrible the walls looked and these dirty, cracked windows with no curtains at all. So they washed down the walls, they washed the ceiling, they put curtains on the windows, and now things were starting to look like they thought it ought to look. But of course they had to give up a lot of their fighting because the babies slept a lot and babies can't sleep during a brawl. So the the whole temperature of Roaring Camp began to go down. They used to take her out and put her by the entrance to the mine so they, they could see her first thing when they came out. Then somebody noticed what a dirty place that was. So then they planted flowers and made a very nice little garden there, and it looked beautiful. And they would bring her these shiny stones and these these objects they would find in the mine, and they'd kind of hand her to play with. But as soon as they put their hands next to hers, their hands looked so dirty. Pretty soon the general store was all sold out of soap and shaving gear and perfume, and and you know where this story's going, right? Here's the point. That baby changed everything. We live in Roaring Camp. It is our world. And we cannot see it without being overwhelmed with sorrow. But a baby has come. And we can't see him without being filled with joy, without holding to the promise that this means the Lord is near. Things will not always be this way. And there are things that we're not going to be able to fix until he comes back, but there are camps we can clean and flowers we can plant. We can do more than wait. We can partner to see the promise and we can say God is with us, God is for us, God is through us and Christmas is forever. So here's the question I want to to land on for you to begin to reflect on. I want you to consider your own roaring camp this morning. Maybe it's something that in the list of things that Lori was reading. A place in your life of joylessness or unreasonableness maybe it's something on the news maybe it's something on a screen maybe it's something in your home maybe it's something in your heart is Jesus calling you to hope or is he calling you to act what's he calling you to do with this is he calling you to make it holy or is he gonna make it holy through you Let us not be anxious, but with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let us take this request to God. So what I want to put up here is this is the request that I want to invite us to take to God. As you think about the roaring camp part of your life, here's the question that we're going to take to him and see if he is faithful to answer. Jesus, am I supposed to act in this or hope that you will? You might want to use our uh, prayer wall over here to express that. We have some candles you can light as well. You might want to light a candle to say, well, I think you're calling me to act. Would you give me the courage? You might be feel that like he's calling you to hope, and you say, oh, Jesus, I'm just going to light this as an expression of my hope that you have this. Our prayer as we begin this time of reflection is, Jesus, we believe that you are at hand. Will you guide us? stand together as we continue worshiping.